We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast for not just Wild Card Weekend, but Super Wild Card Weekend. As the playoffs get underway, we're going to get into some of the uh, latest coaching vacancies and coaching carousel around the league with Black Monday being this past week. We're also going to get into uh, each game on the slate this weekend and a little bit of playoff best ball strategy. Start the show. Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, John McKechnie. That is Mario Puig. We got the playoffs up ahead of us. We've got some coaching vacancies uh, to get into. We're also going to get into some playoff best ball as well. Mario has a great article up on the Roadwire site, breaking down some good strategy, uh, whether he agrees, disagrees with, with some of the ADP forming in the best ball markets over on Underdog and, and DraftKings, all that. Uh, but Mario... Uh, the greatest coach ever uh, is no longer coaching. I, I mean, Nick Saban, but I, I suppose um, <laughs> Bill Belichick Me also. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's it's tough to parse between the two. I think you, you could have both of them on, on their respective Mount Rushmore's for pro and college and uh, probably for just coaches generally. Um, I'm... Whew. Yeah, the saving retirement yesterday uh, really threw me off. It's a lot, like, man. I'm kind of, uh, I'm like, I'm, I'm in shock, I guess. Like, I'm just kind of not processing any of these things because uh, maybe it was the, I guess for me, it was more the Vrabel one. But because I was already just, I was like blindsided so much by the Vrabel one. When I saw the Saban one and all the other ones too, really, I was just kind of like, this is, this just feels like a fever dream or something. So uh, when, when the news broke on Saban, uh, on Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday evening, I was out on a walk with, with my girlfriend and I, you know, my phone's just <laughs> exploding uh, with like group texts and, and all this and that. And uh, we, we get back from the walk and I just look her dead in the eye and I'm like, I got to go on the Internet for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I have to post. Dude. Yeah, I, boy, I got to I got to get some tweets off. And and I did, oh um, uh, you know, Nick Saban has. Nick Saban and Bill Belichick have caused me immeasurable amounts of pain, but I have immeasurable amounts of respect for, for both of them. I, I think yeah. they're both just unbelievable competitors and and uh, just so pragmatic. So 
like their the body of work for both of them just so unbelievable. And you know, it's funny, it, you know, with the the magnitude of those two um, no longer in their coaching positions, it, it sort of took some of the the magnitude away from Pete Carroll, also yeah. uh, not be not being retained by by the Seahawks, and then of course, like, like you said, Mike Vrabel, the the other coaching. Um, movements uh, were, were either expected or already made. Obviously, with, with Carolina doing what what they did, um, the, the Raiders, even the Pete Carroll one, I was like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can see why. I, I get, I get the point of, uh, you know, him being kind of nudged out. But yeah, the Vrabel one, it was just like, what the hell are we doing here? Like, why is is this allowed? Can someone stop this owner from doing this? But the cool answer is you never can because they, uh, they they were born rich and now they get to do these things. Exactly. And I, I think one of my favorite um, items that, that to come from, from this week and, and from that move in particular what was, and I'm paraphrasing here, but essentially the, the Titans management and, and ownership, they felt like it would have been a little bit too much work to uh to trade Mike Vrabel. So it's like, yeah. that sounds like so, a lot of paperwork. We're going to go ahead and just fire him that seems easier i think to be fair to rayan carthon who's the i believe the gm in name he i assume it was him because I, I guess i don't know who else is around with the team anymore to issue this comment but uh the athletic i believe it was their their uh, applicable beat writer sorry i don't know his name uh had some kind of uh you know word word from inside is that uh the owner just did this like with it was like she just had a knee jerk as as like rich angry people do oftentimes like the second something doesn't go their way they just to them everything is just an issue of pushing a button and getting what you want and they think it works the same in all cases which it doesn't managing an NFL team that it's it's politically uh, more sensitive than that uh, but yeah she, her her feeling is like I should be able to push a button and get whatever treats I feel like I should be entitled to. And in this case, it's like push button, get good team. But since it doesn't work that way, she just pushed a button and fired a valuable coach and got nothing for it, leaving her GM uh, not just without a, a viable coach at the at the short term, but it's going to be harder, I think, to get Slowick, for instance, from Houston has been uh, floated as a name for uh, the Tennessee Titans. Why would Slowick go there now? Why the hell would anyone go there now? If you if you have to go bet- between either Tennessee or Carolina, why not just wait until next year entirely? There's exactly. no reason to take those jobs, especially in, in Slowick's case, where you know you you build another year of credibility. You have a, another year of C.J. Stroud, Tank Dell, Nico Collins, and you know the offense is probably gonna gonna potentially reach another level next year. And and then you you really get uh, your your pick of the litter as far as job openings go. So you know to to your point there, you're almost sealing your own fate in, in a way uh, by by going to one of these more lower desirability uh, job openings like a Carolina or now like Tennessee, because Rabel really made chicken salad out of chicken. You know what this year? I mean, but between Ooh, I never heard that one, but that's yeah. that is true. I mean, like the, the roster is not good. Like we, we no. bemoaned it every single week of the season. We, we talked about how, uh, you know, there, there's nothing really on this offense except the, like the odd week where Will Levis would sneak up on somebody or, or the defense would forget to account for Derrick Henry that type of thing. That offensive line was probably one of the worst of the past 20 years. Yeah, we, we smelled that out in, in the preseason. We're not even like big like preseason takeaway guys, but we, we saw their their game against, I think it was the Bears 
uh, early on in the preseason, and they, they ran the starting unit out there, and it gave up like a a ton of sacks. I, I don't know if I'm misremembering, and and it was like the most sacks allowed in a preseason game ever, but that was like a, a little bit of a sign that things weren't going to go particularly well uh, for for Tennessee this year. Maybe you know if you look back a little bit, the the trade of AJ Brown a couple of years ago, and then thinking that Traylon Burks could basically just step right in and be AJ Brown 2.0. Uh, maybe that was the start of the decline. Uh, firing the, the Titans, GM but... made a lot of sense. Yeah, firing Vrabel is like trying to f- trying to find that GM to fire him again, and firing Vrabel because he's the only he's the nearest person uh, nearby now. It's crazy that that Amy Strunk lady, uh, the, the, apparently the, the the owner now of the Titans. It's really a, a lot like the scenario in Thirty Rock where Don Geis's daughter uh, became in charge of uh, whatever the General Electric or whatever they're their company is uh it's it's like she's she's just there and and kind of like thrashing about and they're trying like her handlers are trying to get her under control but like too late she fired Vrabel already Uh oops (laughs) so Tennessee it looks rather bleak especially if if they're unable to uh lure Slowick away from uh Houston do you agree with the with the general sentiment that uh the Chargers are the best job opening well, uh, they got to be better than the Panthers and the Titans. I'm not sure what kind of standard we're setting with just that, though. Um, I'm a I'm a Herbert believer. I think Herbert and some of the pieces they have on that team make for a, a quick start. It's definitely an easier rebuild, for instance, than what Houston had with uh, what they were looking at in, in March. But uh, Houston was an example of playing everything absolutely right and, you know, in a, in a daring fashion. So. Uh, it's not easy to turn things around like that. And uh, I don't know if, if they, if, if a good coach, if, if, if I guess uh, Ben Johnson were to go to the chargers, I'd be like, Oh yeah, that should work fine. That, that could be pretty explosive. But if, if it's like the chargers, if, if, if the question is more like, are the chargers talented enough for sort of just anybody to go in and make a, a noticeable difference? I'd say no, especially cause we don't know. We don't know what this new GM arrangement is going to be. We also don't know what that person is going to reshape this roster as because they, they got to blow up like there's there's something like five or six contracts that must have like 160 million between them, not even including Herbert. Uh, like the guys like um, what the hell? it's like uh, Mac and like Keenan Allen, Mike Williams. These guys have numbers that just clearly at the very least, we're going to be renegotiated all along. Even when they signed those deals, they, the whole plan for the team was like, we're going to, you know, these are, this is going to be funny money. So mm-hmm. they have a lot to figure out. And therefore they have a lot they could kind of make worse too, but uh, it still has to be, be like the Panthers not having a first overall pick that they gave away uh, in the process of giving away their best player that they had before that. And then uh, wasting that pick for the player that they got uh, out of it all. That's that's kind of a, this pit has never existed before in the NFL. As far as I can remember, like this is a worse situation than any expansion team ever dealt with. Yeah. It's, it's truly the, the Marianas trench uh, that, that has been uh, formed uh, there in Charlotte. So going to take a while. Um, probably the, the next coach is just going to hopefully get them a little bit closer to, to sea level and then probably get canned. And then uh, the, the next guy down the line will, will be the one that maybe uh, gets Carolina back to, to being competitive, but, Till then, um, things are looking pretty bleak in Carolina. And, and yeah, to your point on the Chargers, um, you know, they, they do have a lot of cap issues, but we'll, we'll see if that really matters because when, when you're the head coach, generally you don't you don't have to worry 
or the, the cap isn't so much your concern as getting your guys ready uh, for, for Sunday. And you have the best quarterback of, of any of the jobs uh, that, that are open with, with Justin Herbert, yeah, obviously being true. locked up for the next few years. So that, that, that I think is probably enough of a carrot for, um, for them to be considered the best. Um, and then beyond that, um, any other uh, leans or, or observations on, on these uh, coaching vacancies before we get rolling into the games? Um, I don't know. It's it's not uh, the same subject exactly, but it it is shameful and awful what Doug Peterson uh, did with the Jaguars firing uh, guys like Bernie Parmalee and Caldwell, the defensive coordinator, but not firing Press Taylor. You know, that's just... There's 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 a few words for it. None of them are good. Um, it's it's a bad look for uh, not that Chad Khan needed more negative indicators, but certainly a bad look for him that he oversees this all. And it's enough reason for me to say, like, you know what, I the, as someone who thought Trevor Lawrence would have this chance to break out as like, you know, Megatron of quarterbacks um, in, in the event that he were given kind of just baseline NFL coaching. That possibility, I am rapidly losing the hope of seeing anytime soon, uh, at the very least another year, because um, if the Jags come back with Doug Peterson and Press Taylor, they're just going to suck. Crap team. Also, the Raiders should just be ended as an organization. They should be deleted and maybe replaced with some other team. I don't know. But uh, not just hiring Antonio Pierce is totally disgraceful. Um, it, it's, uh, what is it? it's, it's a lack of like graciousness or something it's it's a it's it's in great behavior awful uh whoever gets antonio pierce is lucky whoever gets a Giro of Vero is lucky too yes i did see that um i think the falcons are, are poking around on, on a Giro of Vero, and and i will say credit to you you usually are, are a pretty good weather vane for um coordinators who are on the come up and and um should should be able to be uh considered legitimate head coaching candidates and, and you've had that, uh, you know, on an otherwise uh, completely unremarkable slash terrible Panthers team, you're, you would always make a point to say you're a zero. Like he's doing, well, that's all because uh, that's because of that whole Nate Hackett season. That was so cool. That was uh, the, the, that year with Nate Hackett and the Broncos at zero zero was the defensive coordinator. And they, they had, uh, they would have had a winning record or whatever if they had just scored 17 and a half points per game that's because right. the zero zero kept opponents to 18 or something like that. For, for whatever reason, I, I forgot that 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 was him. Um, I don't know if in, in my mind's eye, I like still thought it was Fangio, but Fangio was the head coach, and then he got fired for uh, Nate Hack <clears throat> Nate Hackett. So I needed to do some um, data management uh, in my brain. Anyway, folks, we're here to talk about the playoffs, so we're we're going to do that. But first, a message from our friends over at Circa. Get ready for the ultimate big game parties at Circa Resort and Casino. Super Sunday is in Las Vegas this year. Watch the big game poolside at Stadium Swim's big game viewing party. Massive screen, booming game sound, and a view of the pyrotechnic and visual effects throughout the game. Snag the best seat in the sum of daybeds, poolside boxes, cabanas, and more. Or touchdown at the world's largest sportsbook, Circa Sports, for the big game bash. Three stories of football glory featuring a 78 million pixel screen book your seat with a variety of reservation options including bottle service open bar stadium style food and more don't miss these legendary viewing experiences on february 11th the big game parties only at circa resort and casino reserve today at circa las vegas.com 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, Mario, let's kick things off with the Saturday afternoon slate uh, or the time slot, uh, the, the time slot, which whenever the Texans make the playoffs, this is theirs. They're the kings of, of being the, the first game on wildcard weekend and, and fitting that they are back in that spot. The Texans are two and a half point home underdogs to the Cleveland Browns uh, would not have expected that uh, coming into this season. Uh, but no, the the Texans are your AFC South champions. I had forgotten that I bet on that at some point in October, and uh, I was happy to see uh, uh, that <laughs> that my account got credited for for that. So all good there. But beyond that, um, your expectations for, for this game? The Browns obviously been rolling in the second half of the season. Uh, them being here is is really a testament to Kevin Stefanski. It's unbelievable what they've gotten out of Joe Flacco signing him and getting him off the couch to all of a sudden, you know, making the Browns offense completely explosive. What are we expecting here? Well, it's not the easiest game to call. I don't personally, you know, jump to one team over the other. They both are credible uh, playoff teams, I think. And um, they, they both have certain unique traits that, that make them memorable in different ways. But as much as I kind of want to take the Texans and as much as I think D'Amico Ryans is a much better coach than Kevin Stefanski, even though Kevin Stefanski has done a good job this year. And I guess also to be fair to Stefanski, maybe, maybe he just needed this particular type of personnel group to really hit his own stride. And that's weird if so, but whatever it's, it's seems like it might be happening. And um, if so, that's a bad, 
that's a bad timing for the Texans with uh, one of those unique strengths of theirs is actually in their front four on defense. And uh, all year they've had really good run defense, even though aside from maybe Denzel Perryman, they don't have anybody among the, the linebackers who really profiles as the kind of guy who can anchor a run defense. It's like this defensive front seven cohesively was very effective even. And that's, that's interesting to me too, because those four down linemen are more like one gap types aside from maybe Sheldon Rankins, like Malik Collins was a situational pass rusher with the Cowboys. Uh, Will Anderson is a 250 pound defensive end. Uh, Jonathan Greenard's the same kind of thing. And yet they're so tough to run on. And um, in this case, Will Anderson, Jonathan Greenard, the two defensive ends, they haven't practiced as of today. Malik Collins and Sheldon Rankins are both managing their injuries. So they're going to play for sure, but they're not themselves. So if, if Houston got here in part because the run defense was so good and that detail is not present in this matchup, that's a concern, especially because the Browns offensive line is probably one of the better ones in the league. And I, I don't think Kareem Hunt can really do anything, but when you have an offensive line advantage, pretty much anybody who's, you know, in an, in good enough shape and talented enough to be on an NFL roster at running back at all. Like they can capitalize in a situation like that. Um, and yeah, I think, I think Jerome Ford is, is clearly a pretty good player. So uh, at, at the very least he, I think will be effective or like oppose enough of a threat here that the Texans defense has to sort of take it seriously. And maybe in the process, they'll open up, leave open something in a play action look be it to Njoku or Cooper or whoever else. But um, if the offense, excuse me, if the offensive line of the Browns can't sort of carry their offense here by, by just kind of bullying on the ground game, then I would worry a little tiny bit just because I think Derek Stingley is awesome. And Steven Nelson has done a really good job with the Texans too. So those two, if the pass rush has any life at all, could be challenging covers for, Amari Cooper to get open against. But if I have to call it one way or another, I, I think Anderson and Greenard being hurt is a huge issue for the Texans. And I think with that offensive line, maybe Cooper doesn't get open immediately against Derek Stingley or Steven Nelson. But if Joe Flacco has five or six seconds to throw the ball, he will eventually. And I, I think, it, I think uh, over the course of the game, the Texans kind of just get, I don't want to say pulverized on defense, but I think, I think you'll see them looking a little bit out of their element in the second half. It's crazy to me that, you know, the, the Browns offensive line remains a strength and an advantage in this game when guys like Jack Conklin, Dewan Jones, Jedrick Wills are, are all on injured reserve. But, you know, <sighs> yeah, that's they, crazy. They've just, they've just built um, a, a ton of great even depth. I, God, I didn't realize uh, Dewan Jones is still out. Uh, who's even playing there? <laughs> It is uh, by the I don't think I'm gonna, one I don't James think I'm gonna Hudson. Who, James Hudson. I guess okay. He played for them a little while ago, didn't he? I, I thought it was going to be a name I'd never heard of, but um, uh, I think he must have played a little bit. So he's he's got some experience at least. But yeah, that's that's crazy to be down to uh, your 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 whatever cumulatively like dual third string offensive tackles and still be getting pretty good results. Maybe I'm wrong to think it's an advantage. I mean, maybe, maybe actually Will Anderson and Greenard are, are, are the people with an advantage here, but I still go back to the theme of the Cleveland run game, eventually getting going, taking some anchor uh, because Will Anderson is a 250 pounder. So is Greenard. The, 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 the tackles playing hurts. I don't know. I think they'll be able to get the run game going at least. 
That, and that's obviously huge, especially if they're able to, to build that lead. Is there anything from their recent matchup back in, I, I want to say, week 16 um, that, that might be informative for this one? Obviously, Amari Cooper went ballistic in yeah. that game, and, and but uh, I don't think has played since with that heel. Well, it seems like Cooper is okay. Right. I just... Um... I don't really want to try to take things away from previous matchups too much uh, just because it's like teams find themselves in, at different places and, you know, with different objectives throughout the year. It's like one team in a game like that could be more prioritizing kind of uh, staying healthy and not showing too much for a, whatever a divisional game in next week or two weeks. And the other team might have more at stake in that one game and it might show up in the box score. But in terms of just personnel interaction, there's a lot of strength on strength either way. Like he, I guess that Cooper play is a great example. It's like he had the biggest game of his career against the Texans, but I don't think this is a, an easy matchup for him. Like that, that kind of wacky stuff can happen. The 2000 Ravens can give up whatever 47 points in week one to the Jaguars or whatever happened and then still be the best defense ever. So um, the, the Stroud factor is, is tough for me from the other side. And I, I even think Devin Singletary might be able to run a little bit against the Browns and, in a way that the Texans kind of need him to, because I just don't think they have the pass catching personnel. That's a big part of it too. Like not just the defensive injuries to have only Nico Collins as a like game ready NFL receiver right now is a major hindrance. Like I think Collins will still probably have a pretty good game, but if, if CJ Stroud needs to throw the ball 40 times, it just starts to get sketchy because it's like, what is Collins going to do? Get 22 of those. Yeah. We're, we're, t- we're getting into Brandon Marshall territory at that point. So, yeah, it's it, weird stuff happens, and I don't want to bet against Stroud, Collins, Slowick. I think all three of those guys are legit, but it's just like, I don't know. It, it just it just seems it, a lot of strength on strength, and one of these teams is a little bit more beat up at, at, at crucial spots, I think. Yeah, and the, the public tends to agree um, that as far as uh, spread handle for, for this weekend, um, this is the most lopsided game uh we, we've got 79 oh, percent of the money coming in on cleveland minus two 72 percent of the money coming in on on the cleveland money line as well so everyone seems to believe that uh uh cleveland is the team that it's going to advance out of this one and i tend to agree i think cleveland if not for like the divisional stipulation um you know would have been a, a higher seed uh in in the playoffs and and I don't know that they, they are in my, in my view, top three team in the AFC, as far as the, the playoff field is concerned. And uh, Houston just, I mean, not that there's, there's a ton of playoff experience on, on this Browns team, but Stefanski has been there. I think that the, uh, this will just be step one in what, what ends up being a, a, a you know, huge career for, for CJ Stroud. But I think it starts with a playoff loss. Also, hasn't Flacco probably played in more playoff games than it's it's like uh, it's probably like five times as much as all the Houston players combined or something like that? He's played in I, I want to say fifteen. I think he's ten and five. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's uh, that's a lot. playoff experience does matter, especially probably if you're the traveling team. So, yeah, I I don't want to count the Texans out, but it just just seems like the Browns are in a bit more fortunate of a spot timing wise. I would say so as well. Um, let's get on to uh, Saturday evening. Uh, we've got the Kansas City Chiefs hosting the Miami Dolphins. 
Chiefs four and a half point favorites in this one. I think that line has moved a little bit over the course of the week. I want to say this this started out, yes, as Kansas City minus three. Have the Dolphins just is it them getting figured out? Is it them being too banged up, or is it uh, like just a, a factor of them having to go on the road against a good team, something that they haven't done or performed well in that type of situation over the course of this season, and uh, th- this also being a uh, a game where it's going to be totally frigid temperatures for a team traveling from Miami that that fuels some of this line movement. All of that stuff is concerning for the Dolphins, and uh, I know Jalen Phillips wasn't Mike McDaniel's fault, but losing Bradley Chubb was kind of like the door shutting on that team. I think even yep. even if Waddle were fully healthy, which he is not, even if Mostert were fully healthy, which he is not, that was just that was just a backbreaking sort of thing to have happen and uh it's hard for me having felt that way the second it happened it's hard for me to to look at this game and and see it from any positive angle for the chiefs like tyreek hill could have a monster game and the chiefs could still cover by like the chiefs could still win by two touchdowns or something uh that admittedly is not so easy to project with this particular version of the chiefs and their own passing game has been bad enough in warm weather that we you know, as much as they are the home team and as much as uh, it seems like strong armed quarterbacks do a lot better with Arrowhead than finesse passers. Like uh, I, I keep mentioning this, but Philip Rivers really struggled a lot against the Chiefs and at Arrowhead. And he was more of like a shot put kind of passer. Like he doesn't he doesn't have like the, the wrist flick, you know, elbow flick kind of velocity that Patrick Mahomes certainly does. Other guys who have done well at Arrowhead lately are Justin Herbert and Josh Allen, who you know have comically strong arms. Tua in this sort of environment, even before you add the cold, I worry about some just real awful dud throws happening. And that's even before I even ask who the defense is, you know, and it's not all rosy there either. Like as much as Tyreek Hill has probably the upper hand against almost any corner, including Legereus Sneed. It's it's um it's one of those things like again Tyreek Hill has whatever fourteen targets for one hundred and twenty yards or something. Waddles two and a half weeks into a return from a high ankle sprain. I don't think we're going to get more than like twenty five snaps out of him, and he's he's not going to look particularly good on those snaps if it is a, if it's a real high ankle sprain. So, uh, if is Cedric Wilson going to be getting open against? Uh, I guess he could beat those outside corners, but you're going to see Snead or McDuffie on Hill with probably as much help as Spagnolo can figure out how to give him. And then you're going to see the leftover of Snead or McDuffie on Waddle. And Wilson is the only person at that po- is like uh, Wilson's more realistic as a target at that point than Waddle. And that's just such a bad point to be at too. Again, no matter what the, vi- when, uh, no matter what the venue or the context, that's a bad, just matchup uh, indicator for the dolphins that like uh, your second leading you. usage. What's that? Two words for you. River Craycraft. River Craycraft, Rex <laughs> Berrios, uh, Chase Claypool, I guess. I'd, I'd certainly be. Mm. They need somebody to just, I'd send them out there to like do cartwheels down the field. I don't care. Just somebody who isn't slow, go out there, please. Um, anyway, uh, I think it's it's a bad spot for Tua. And it's, it's again, it's one of those things like I, I worry about it even, even if Waddle were fully healthy. The, the fact is, some teams have some teams' numbers, and then even the thing that gave them, even the the trait that gave them the advantage in that context, is something that makes them weak in another. 
And you saw it with McDermott against the Dolphins both times. It's like it's it's cool in a way that Tua Tungavailoa gets rid of the ball so quickly, the league leading rate. But if you're getting rid of the ball that quickly, categorically, you are emphasizing some parts of the field and, and omitting others. And if you're dropping back one, two, getting rid of it, you are not throwing deep that much. You're dependent on the intermediate, the shallow, probably over the middle of the field a little bit. And Mike McDaniel in the games where the, the Dolphins are really cooking, they clear out that area successfully. They get Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, the ball in that part of the field successfully, and they do a lot of damage after the catch. Right. And the Chiefs have the kind of personnel, just as the Bills do, to spam those depths, to sit in the parts of the field that you necessarily have to throw the ball to if you're getting rid of it as quickly as Tua does. And they, they're ready to play that kind of game. It's, it's, not like, it's not an uncomfortable thing for them. The way you make the Chiefs more uncomfortable it, and same as the Bills, is getting going downfield. And I think in both cases, too, it's getting the running game going, getting the safeties pulled downward a little bit, making those guys, making those corners, instead of playing that pouncing on the intermediate game that they're allowed to play, make them turn and run. And I don't think the Dolphins have, like, the infrastructure, the personnel to do that. I think they have to they, – they, they keep getting rid of the ball really quick. I think the Chiefs are going to be jumping those routes. So this is a more of a comment from Sunday night's game against the Bills, a, a loss that, you know, kind of, you know, you mentioned the Bradley Chubb injury against Baltimore, but, you know, that losing to the Bills the way that they did, you know, kind of effectively ends their season because I think they're dead men walking coming coming into this one. But it, I don't mean to sound overly harsh of, of Tua, but when they got the ball with a chance to, to tie the game late at any point, did you feel like he was going to actually do it? No, I don't think he's very good. And I know it's uh, this has been a, a bit of a hot topic, uh, whatever, controversial thing. Because there's the, ba- the debates on Twitter about, like, is Tua Tungavailoa a, a precision passer or an anticipation passer? Or is he just a system passer? And the answer is he's all of those things. I mean, it, we say in a sometimes joking tone that quarterbacks don't matter. But it's truly the case that outside of a couple few four maybe five quarterbacks quarterbacks generally don't matter if they're not in that awful category it's like the space in between is what makes most of the viable uh, quarterbacks in the NFL and in that group is Tua Tungavailoa and given the proper structure in place he can be a league leading passer an MVP candidate a guy who can you know shoot it out with any offense in the league but if those systemic details are not sturdily in place like if if some of that structure starts to to fall apart so does he there's a category of quarterback that doesn't fall apart quite as fast you know Patrick Mahomes Justin Herbert in my opinion Lamar Jackson I don't personally think Josh Allen is there but uh I I I can see why someone would say he was Tua is not in that group Tua is in a group where he's like he needs a specific setup and it's not going to be there in this game it wasn't there against the Bills and it, it wasn't there against the Bills I think because of for, for personnel and and um, strategic tendency reasons, it's it's not like it was a fluky thing. It's not like the, the Bills just have a magical curse on uh, Tua Tungabello. It's like they're good at things that he more so depends on defenses to be bad at. So uh, you know, with, with this in, in mind and, and our kind of general skepticism of how the how the Dolphins are going to function on offense, especially uh, with the passing game. Is there any way that McDaniel just kind of in the weather conditions maybe helping him come to this conclusion and decision? But I mean, Miami had a totally killer run game this year. I know it's not 
It's 100%. the only way. It's, yeah, it's literally okay. the only way. They, they have to go Oregon ship Kelly out there or they don't stand a chance. So do you think that they might actually do that? Do you think McDaniel reaches into that part of his bag and, and you know, kind of maximizes the, the ground game because the, the Chiefs uh, for, you know, Spagnolo and, and his ability, especially in the postseason, that, that's well known. But uh, the Chiefs didn't necessarily have a, a great uh, run defense th- no. this year. So do you think that this is that's the only path for uh, for Miami to get this done? I think it's the only path for Miami, not so much pending the matchup details as much as just like the the fact that Miami doesn't have the personnel to compete against anyone any other way. But you're right. The Chiefs are tougher to throw on than they are to run on. Some of that is by design choice because Steve Spagnuolo, understandably, is, is designing his defense with the vision of uh, playing defense with the lead, oftentimes in shootout scenarios. So that's the kind of defense that the Chiefs are built to play but the way you get it in a, any angle on that kind of defense is well then give them the script that they're not built for they're not built to uh stop the run in a close game so to try to make the game short and keep it on the ground and hopefully one of your incredibly fast running backs gets you an unlikely big play and hopefully that big play gives you position on the scoreboard to sort of dictate the game script a little bit put that put the chiefs in situations rather than be in the situation of always catching up to whatever they started, you know? And if only because they don't have the pass catching ammo to do it, the dolphins have to go through the ground. And I, I think you're right though. I mean, we've already seen it and, and we don't need a Denver game. We can, we can get literally like a third of the Denver game and that's enough to make the dolphins probably win, let alone make it a you know tough game for the chiefs. But yeah, if Tua needs to throw the ball more than like 27 times, I think this actually could go the other way. Like the if if Tua starts to throw into the cold and the wind and and with the defense sitting back ready to to jump his passes, they will, and that could get ugly. Yeah, it, it absolutely could. Um, so I want to see a lot of Mostert and Achan. If, I, if I'm a yeah. Dolphins fan that this weekend, I, I I do think that that's their their path forward. And then you know on the other side, we we've kind of touched on it briefly with the with the Chiefs offense taking you know, a pretty big step back that this year, I, I still think that they're built to at least win this game. And then, you know, they're, they're, they're just dangerous with Patrick Mahomes back there, but it's not as good of a passing game that this year as we're, as we're accustomed to, obviously, do you think on the Chiefs' side of things, especially with, with those defensive injuries for Miami, uh, you know, like it, it, they got worse uh, last week, mind you with, with um, what Baker uh, get, get, getting hurt. Um, I believe Andrew Van Ginkle also Howard got, got left in that one. Mm-hmm. Howard left, and um, that's been called as like a bad. I don't think that's actually a bad thing. He's he's always getting roasted whenever I pay attention. But um, <laughs> yeah, the the Van Ginkle thing. I didn't even because uh, he was basically like the the he was the next up after Phillips. So he oh man, he's on the air. Yeah, so uh, he, that's he, bad. Um, yeah, like they got there. um. Do they even know, they must. Melvin Ingram and Justin Houston are going to be the starting edge. Yeah, they they they've had to they've had to dip in into that pool, but um, all of that was was a long preamble to say how rosy is is Isaiah Pacheco's projection this week. All right, so oh yeah, this is a little complicated. I think (laughs) Uh, short fields would really help. You know, some some turnovers off of the Dolphins' offense. That's that's the kind of stuff that I think you know a little bit of momentum at, at, at their sales would help, but at the initial outset of this game, I feel like it might be a bit of a stalemate because as much as Chubb and Jalen Phillips were 
are really good. We're having great years before they got hurt. And as much as Van Ginkle was also effective and, you know, losing him hurts a lot. The real anchor and like engine of this Dolphins defense is Christian Wilkins. And I didn't even notice Zach Sealer's got 10 sacks now. That's crazy. So those two playing defensive tackle in most packages, uh, I guess they're going to have to give Raekwon Davis more snaps than usual if, if the Chiefs are testing them on the ground. But um, even with Raekwon Davis being a liability, like Wilkins is such a like Wilkins is on a Hall of Fame kind of course. I don't know how many people have noticed that, but he's he's been crazy. He's probably the closest thing to like prime Aaron Donald in the league right now. And uh, he's playing like crazy. Sealer's playing like crazy. So if those two can keep the linebackers, if those two can can both occupy gaps and press back and the linebackers c- can capitalize on that, maybe the Dolphins can keep what has been an effective run defense going in this game. But it might take a little selling out against the run. And I don't know. I, I don't know if Vic Fangio is that specifically built for the game today in general. I, I don't want to, I don't want to act like he's some kind of foremost authority at this point, but um, if he doesn't make run defense a priority here, I think it could blow up in their faces and I can understand why someone would be like, Oh, we're going against Pat Mahomes at Arrowhead. We have to, you know, kind of spam the pass since the, since we last saw the chiefs can't actually throw on anyone anyway, right. let alone Arrowhead. You know, they couldn't do it against the Raiders. Maybe you shouldn't assume Mahomes is what you need to worry about most here. Maybe the Chiefs have run and designed such a poorly conceived offensive uh, strategy for their passing game that actually Isaiah Pacheco is your biggest concern. The, the issue there for the Chiefs, in my opinion, Pacheco, if you're if you're hoping he can go over 20 carries in a game, it's asking a bit of him. Like the way he runs, he burns up, you know, he, he burns up energy fast and he takes a lot the, of uh, the Chris Ivory corollary. Yeah, and even more ridiculous because Chris Ivory and Isaiah Pacheco share the trait of just kind of going headfirst, face bashing into the defense, no matter what's in front of them. What Pacheco does that no one has ever done is that thing where he always he always has to move like he's the ring girl, you know, like <laughs> like he's he's always oh. got to like he's got to have like 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 a what do you call it? What's it like? He's got all these like joint movements that that look like irregular and, and unnecessary. And he's, he's just like doing all this, this moving around and spending all his energy. And it's like it, he's obviously a really good player. It's just that he kind of he kind of I've, I've pointed this out about Jalen Warren. You know, he runs at one hundred and twenty five percent effort off the bench. Like Isaiah Pacheco runs with one hundred and like ninety percent effort as a starter. And it's like, yeah, yeah there's, there's a reason this guy split carries at Rutgers, you know. Yeah, no, exactly. Let's see. I believe the the ring girl's name, uh, Samara. Does that sound? Right? I don't know. I was too scared to watch that whole thing. I was just like, I was like, oh, she's 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 getting out of the TV like Isaiah Pacheco. Scared. Yeah, that, that, turned it that off. That was quite an era. That one, the Grudge. Oh yeah, had some nightmares about that about those in uh, back in middle school. But either way, <laughs> um, Pacheco. It, yeah, if the Dolphins don't come correct it, uh, against the run here. Uh, it could, uh, you know, kind of end up uh, sealing their fate a little bit. Um, where do you land on this game overall with, with the Chiefs being four and a half point favorites? I got to go with the Chiefs because I don't know. I, I, I think that, like you said, the Dolphins have a path on the ground, but it takes a certain focus and discipline and, and understanding of your limitations for Mike McDaniel to agree with us. And maybe he does, but even if he does, it's it's a narrow path even still. It's like you, you need those 40 yarders to hit. These are the two right running backs for that. But if you let 
the if you if the Chiefs score a touchdown on their first drive and you let that force you into like a catch up script as the Dolphins, it's a wrap right there. And yep. I guess I see that as more likely than you know the tightrope of of Mostert and Achan combining for whatever forty carries and three hundred yards. Like that's it's a way it can happen, but it's it's not a good most likely way to win. You know, my my big concern for this game, uh, it's on Peacock. I'm visiting my grandparents this weekend. I'm gonna have to set that up for them. That's my only concern for, for this one. That's gonna be oh, a uh, Titanic struggle. Godspeed. Uh don't Thank change you. any settings of theirs. No. I, I'm pretty sure they have a TV that works for streaming, but they like it as we'll see. We, yeah, it's still got the tube uh TV. Um all right, we will move on over to Sunday's action. We've got uh, the the final AFC game. We've got the Stillers. We got the Bills. We got the Bills as ten point favorites in Orchard Park. Uh, Steelers by George. They made the playoffs again, but what? Once again, they they kind of really since what like two thousand sixteen. I, I want to say like the Steelers have made the playoffs a, a decent bit in that time frame, but at no point have they looked like actual Super Bowl contenders. And that continues this year. They are the biggest underdogs on the board. They are 10 point underdogs once again. And uh, I believe they do also have far and away like the longest Super Bowl odds. So uh, not a lot of belief from the sports books and the public uh, that the Steelers are going to make this one competitive. Yeah, uh, I don't. I, I often don't know what to think about the Steelers in terms of matchups. Uh, their defense is, is kind of tough to figure out. Their offense is simple enough, I guess. It's not very good. And uh, Mason Rudolph might be quite a bit better than Mitch Trubisky. Still is the kind of quarterback who can melt down in a game like this. And I think... So So the formula, the basic formula of the Bills' defense is they've, they've accumulated these corners, uh, Russell Douglas and Christian Benford, who are big and they are built to kind of pounce downward. They're not built to turn and run. They know that Sean McDermott knows that, but the bills pass rush in theory is supposed to intervene and force a quarterback to throw the ball before those receivers have enough time to run past Douglas or Benford. Uh, it's when you make Benford or Douglas turn and run downfield that they, they start to get out of their element a little bit. So it's, it's not the Pittsburgh offensive line, in my opinion, that would be on the short list of offensive lines to to throw off the Bills' pass rush. Like, I, admittedly, I don't have a great feel for for the Pittsburgh offensive line and its weak spots. It just uh, seems like they kind of it's kind of like patched together. Has you know? there been has there been much of like a a, a narrative about Broderick Jones for, from the, not that the, I saw. I still think the left tackle kind of sucks. The I, I think he'd be better off at the right side or at, even at guard. But uh, Jones at right tackle, I, I believe the last verdict was like he's an upgrade over what they had. And uh, being an underclassman offensive tackle, he's going to still be better. He's going to get better next year and the year after than he'll be this year. But um, I guess the Steelers, you know, didn't have anything better right now. Yeah, he, I mean, great Georgia Bulldog. So I, I was, I was hoping he, he was, was a good pick. Well, he was the kind of pick that they should have made like for years and had playing in place of Dan Moore or whatever that left tackle's name is. So yeah, yep. uh, even a guy like Greg Rousseau who doesn't have that many sacks this year, he has a lot of quarterback hits, and I think his past sack uh, tendencies give us reason to believe 
he will get a hot streak eventually. So if that happens here, that would be really bad timing for the Steelers because they, I don't want to make it sound like they have no hope or something. Cause Josh Allen is unconditionally turnover prone. He will always yep. be turnover prone. And when you're turnover prone, things can get kind of wacky. It, 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 you could imagine, I guess if guys like TJ Watt and Highsmith are getting involved, you might but be Watt, a little Watt's more... probably not playing though. Oh, my bad. Uh, but yeah, so if, if Highsmith can't get to Allen, then Allen should be able to just sort of like buy time almost indefinitely. And the reason I think ultimately the, the uh, bills offense will be okay in this game. Maybe not, maybe not in the sense of like big yardage volume, but at least fine in the sense of points is that I think the Steelers, if they keep doing what they've been doing, they'll put Joey Porter on Stefan Diggs and, I still have concerns about the Bills offense and and their spacing, the, their whole theory of a passing game, but I think it would be a huge mistake if the state, if the Steelers put Joey Porter on Stefan Diggs and you might say that, well, so you, you uh, think it's a better idea to put Levi Wallace on Diggs. And uh, that's not exactly how I feel, but kind of, because the, the specific issue here is not that uh, Wallace is better at covering digs. He isn't. It's that Wallace can play badly without grabbing people all the time. Mm. And Porter cannot play well without grabbing people all the time. And digs is a unique category of route runner who will get you in your feet in the wrong direction at corner. And if you're not built in the feet, if you don't have the mindset to kind of just be able to, to, to flip your hips the right way and change, you know, your, your footwork in response the right way, then Diggs will either dust you or if you're Porter, as Porter has done against many lesser receivers, like every week Porter is holding and, and grabbing at people against Diggs, he might set some kind of record for like the most penalties had <laughs> against a corner in a game. Oh boy. So that, that's, um, that's a bit of a concern for Pittsburgh because it, yeah, I mean, again, like you said, objectively Porter, the best corner on that team, but at the same time, as far as a matchup, concern against against someone like Stefan Diggs, who I think Buffalo really wants to get going. I know fantasy managers out there disappointed in the returns that they got from Diggs this this year, but I still think he's a huge part of, of what could be their success uh, th- this month. Um, I, I guess my, my general read on, on this game is, is Pittsburgh's offense is too uh, punchless Awful. generally. And, and I think you know, we, we saw some glimpses over the over the last month that, that Josh Allen, when he's when he's kind of going that that Superman mode, and we, we saw it last week. We we saw like a perfect kind of encapsulation. I thought of Josh Allen where the picks were so boneheaded, but like the the plays he he was making were the type of stuff that that very few other quarterbacks, if any, um, are making right now. So that, that I think makes the bills very dangerous. The way they've ended the season makes them very dangerous. Um, so I, I think that the bills kind of make this one a game that's, if you had to miss a game that this weekend, this one's probably it because I, I think that the bills kind of, kind of smush them. I, I still think that the bills offense is busted. So to me, the defense is the bigger part, but uh, the, the basic, the basic issue for me is George Pickens, downfield is how the Steelers have made big plays all year and uh, Deontay Johnson sometimes gives them underneath gains and occasionally he can set up a double move downfield but with these corners and with the pass rush being the way it tends to be for the Bills Pickens isn't going to be a regular option unless he's something like 14 yards downfield the, the range where Benford and Douglas aren't suited to turn and run to 
that's where Pickens is able to hurt them, I think. But the pass rush probably gets to Rudolph before Pickens can get that far downfield. So uh, either the Pittsburgh run defense, uh, sorry, run offense goes crazy, or Deontay Johnson, I don't know, has like 130 yards on the other side, or it just kind of ends up being a lot of situations where I guess you're hoping for Mason Rudolph to make smart throws going through multiple reads. And that sounds bad. So uh, yeah, the bills pass rush has been hot pretty much all year. And I, I think uh, that makes bad Mason Rudolph happen. And so I, I, in a way don't even for once, I don't even expect Josh Allen to need to do that much. Yeah. But Benford has been uh, kind of a nice storyline for, for Buffalo th- this year, because obviously with, with Trey white, Going down and Matt, Matt Milano, you know, obviously different position go, going out. You kind of figured that this Bills defense, you know, it was maybe teetering a little bit, but Benford seems to have really been kind of a nice steadying presence in the back end for them. I think it's mostly the pass rush, honestly, because like Benford, guys like him just, um, they can only run so far. And Tredavious White was what the Bills had as the theoretical answer to a speed receiver. It's like, or number one receiver in general. It's like, we'll give you, we'll put white on that guy and he can, he can run downfield. So if they go downfield, don't worry, white's got it covered. And I still think Benford and Douglas, they, they cannot do those Tredavious white things. Like if they have to go downfield, they're just kind of in trouble. So it'll take a team that can handle that pass rush and can get more quickly down the field against the bills defense. But the Steelers are just, you know, the opposite of that. So, yeah, I think, the run game for the Steelers might really be important here because according to something called weather.com, uh, heard of it. Um, there, there are going to be winds of about 25 to 35 miles an hour during this game. That hurts and, uh, both teams mm-hmm. somehow. I don't even know. Who, Cause Josh Allen can run, I guess maybe it hurts the, the Steelers more because if, if, uh, if they're grounded, it's like Rudolph just need, he's just handing the ball off that much more. Whereas Allen can make a big play on the ground, but I don't know. I got to say, I don't like the sound of that for the bills because it, I, I feel like wind like that 20 plus can just complicate things. And I think if you're the bills, you don't want to complicate this. It's just straightforward. Like make your basic run fits on defense, make Re- Mason Rudolph throw the ball on third and nine. That will take care of everything right there, I think. But yeah, if, if, if Allen has to throw the ball like 35 times and 20 plus mile per hour wins, then I'm worried like, is he throwing that much because one of those got intercepted and the Bills had to throw more to catch back up? Like, why is he throwing that much? This this should be a game where the where the Steelers are just kind of toothless, you know, uh, either way, I guess. And if they don't have wacky stuff intervening, I don't know what hope they have. Yep, that, that's kind of where I land on this one as well. And uh, for your edification, uh, the public is much more split on this one, I think, because the number is so big that than in the Saturday games. 55% of the money coming in on Buffalo, uh, again, opposed to 79% on, on the Browns and 72% um, on the Chiefs. We'll move on to the NFC side of the bracket. We've got the Packers. We've got the Cowboys. We've got the Cowboys, seven and a half point favorites. McCarthy versus his former team. We've got Jordan Love making his first playoff start. I believe the last time that these two teams squared off in the postseason, Dallas I think they might have been the two seed that year, um, but that was the crazy Aaron Rodgers to Richard Rodgers uh, game, I, I want to say. Uh, but again, that that's ancient history. I think it was like the 2016 season. But either way, uh, we, we have the Cowboys a, as more than a touchdown favorite in this matchup. Do the Packers have a shot given the way that they've played these last two weeks? Well, 
it's not good for Green Bay that this is in Dallas, where it's like even Dallas's detractors this season have kind of uh, framed their 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 fallibility around. Well, they're awesome at home, but on the road they suck. It's like okay, well, in this case they're at home, so uh, there's not really much reason to think they're on letdown watch. It's like the Packers would have to take it from them uh, with without Dallas handing it over, and that seems to me like a lot because. Dallas just um, run game aside, I think has the Packers beat in every unit of, of personnel. Uh, I, I think Jordan Love has actually turned a corner in the past couple months. I mean, I hope I hope it's safe to say that it would it would suck if he um, kind of got adjusted to and stumbled down. But Love has played really well lately. And, you know, me being a Bo Melton truther. I actually am inclined, and you being a Dontavian Wicks truther, like mm. I'm actually inclined to believe that the Packers' offense will keep throwing the ball well. It's just giving those guys consideration while also keeping in mind the Dallas pass rush is difficult. And the Packers' offensive line doesn't seem very good to me. I mean, I, I, I don't understand that left tackle rotation thing they do. Anytime I. Anytime I'm reminded of Zach Tom, it's because it's usually like something weird is and bad is happening. And like these are the guys that are gonna have to deal with this Dallas pass rush. It seems kind of bad. I, I will say Jordan Love, part of what has made him so interesting and, and impressive lately is he's managing the pocket about as well as almost anybody. And he's starting to do that thing. I, I know it's not quite the same level of it, but he's almost kind of doing that thing that Ben Roethlisberger used to do all the time, where it's like he's making these big plays in large part because he's extending them and just keeping his eyes down the field. And uh, what I mean is like, he, 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 uh, it's not even so much that he's like breaking tackles the way Roethlisberger would. It's like, he's just keeping his eyes downfield and managing the rush at the same time. And some of these plays to these receivers aren't on plays where they got open within structure and, and, you know, got the ball thrown on a read. It's like love is improvising a little bit and they are, they're all working really well together this way. Um, Melton and Christian Watson, if he's available, those guys in specifically, those, those guys specifically have the speed to get past Gilmore and Bland. If, if you can get like two and a half, three seconds, those two can run past those, those corners. Uh, the challenge against Dallas is, is much as it is with the bills. It's like, but can your receivers get that far before that pass rush gets to your quarterback and Dallas all year is banked on the answer being no. In the games where the answer is yes, things can kind of get sketchy because Bland and Gilmore can't actually cover that well. So there's a way I think Lafleur, if he if he has one of his you know gem game plans, uh, which he does have sometimes. There are some games where Lafleur is so on that it's just kind of like he alone has the Packers competitive in a game. And I would say Lafleur is a better coordinator than a better offensive coordinator than Dan Quinn is a defensive coordinator. So I I definitely want to give Lafleur serious you know respect and consideration here but i think the way it needs to happen is making something happen kind of like what joe brady did with the bills and that game they kind of just caught dan quinn for four quarters in a row calling these plays that did not respect the run at all it was all one gap stuff it was all uh blitzing trying to catch josh allen running the wrong way and it's just they just kept giving the ball to james cook they kept be- ty johnson even just kept being nobody there uh, Lafleur sometimes cooks up good stuff in the run game, and Aaron Jones. I mean, I guess he's he's probably not quite what he used to be, but I'm a big Aaron Jones fan. So if, if James Cook can have a game like that, then I 
personally can imagine Aaron Jones having one too. Uh, it's just, it's, you'd have to have, you'd have to be doing this kind of like from behind or your defense would need to be stopping the Dallas offense. And that part is really tough to see good for, for uh, the Packers. Cause the, the green Bay defense just uh, when they're not playing the Vikings anyway, they look pretty bad. Right. It, exactly. So that that's the big concern to me is just, are, are the Packers going to be able to, to create a turnover or two and just kind of keep a general lid on, on CD lamb I don't think they can. And therefore, the rest of the offense, and and I don't see that. So I I think I'm w- I'm with you there that the Packers should be able to score here, but um I, I think there will be enough kind of like havoc induced plays from from the Cowboys defense to to kind of snuff some drives out for Green Bay. Whereas Green Bay probably doesn't have that on on their side of the ledger. The over under in this game is fifty and a half. I do like the over here, even though it's it's you know obviously one of the higher ones of this entire weekend, but. Again, I, I think this will be not quite a defense optional game, but I, I think both offenses kind of have their way here. But the the Cowboys defense makes enough plays to to win this game. I do like the Packers to cover if you can get it at seven and a half. Um, at seven, it's it's a different question, but um, it, it, of like the the underdogs that they like to cover but not win this weekend, it, it is probably Green Bay. Yeah, uh, that could be. Tr- I have trouble thinking this one through in part because I feel like the the game courses that this could take uh there, there's like a wide range of um scoreboard outcomes with them like if if green bay tries to just air it out i could imagine it going badly you know sacks turnovers and then dallas can really pull away with a big spread but um if i could have if i could, if i could have the assurance that matt lafleur considers aaron jones a priority in this game then i could be persuaded to the packers covering Okay. All right. Make a note of that. Um, <laughs> anything else to, to add to this one before we move on to the afternoon? Um, the not really. I mean, I'm expecting a huge game from CD lamb and then basically however much they need from Ferguson or cooks, they will look for in Dallas. Uh, but yeah, the Packers, I really think they need to do it by, by getting Aaron Jones to get Dan Quinn in that spot that he was in, in Buffalo. And um, if you can get Jordan love throwing the ball from a tied game, that's that's when you're really cooking. Uh, but yeah, if, if you got to just air it out with CD Lamb doing track meet stuff, that's I don't think that's really fair for uh, almost any quarterback, uh, given the pass rush they'd be going against. Yeah, exactly. And and them knowing and, and Dan Quinn sending everybody that that could uh, unravel pretty quickly for, for Green Bay. Uh, let's hit the Sunday nighter. We got the Rams. We got the Lions. We got Matthew Stafford versus Jared Goff. We got the Lions first home playoff game since. 1993 been a little oh. while yeah ex- exactly um shout out our, our guy uh pat uh who's a big lions fan but i mean the, the the football gods really drew this one up right because you know you got stafford returning the rams looking like the that proverbial team in the nfc that that nobody wants to play right now um we're, we're looking at the lions as three-point favorites uh, but 77% of the money pouring in on Los Angeles. Yeah, fair enough. I have trouble picking a side here because, um, I mean, both teams look good, more or less. And uh, the team that has the better structure in place and the home field advantage has a big deficit at quarterback, in my opinion. Like, I know uh, there's there's a certain line of scholarship that uh, posits that, 
Uh, running backs don't matter, and Jared Goff is better than Matt Stafford, but I think those people are wrong, and that Stafford is actually the better quarterback of the two. So that makes the Rams pretty dangerous, but I do wonder about this Detroit defense, um, which I think is overall pretty weak. I wonder yep. if it might overachieve a little bit against this Rams offense. It's 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 um it's the kind of thing where it, it, we also got to keep in mind Sean McVay and his ability to kind of come up with one-off game plans. That's that's definitely something that could throw in uh, you know a wrinkle here. But both Puka Nakua and Cooper Cup have generally gotten their targets. You know the vast vast majority of their targets in the part of the field where the Lions' corners are most comfortable. Um, I'm not going to say it's quite the same as, you know, the Bills defense or whatever. Uh, but in both cases, you do have a theme of these corners can't cover downfield, but we're hoping we can kind of just money ball it anyway and, and just make the quarterback get rid of it before then or s- scare them away from the deep ball by some other means, whatever. Uh, but the Lions understand that Jerry Jacobs and Cam Sutton can't just do one on one drills against Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua all day. So what generally you try to do with corners like that is you give them a bit of a cushion and you tell them like, you know, based on these reads, you know, prepare to jump this route or be prepared to, uh, you know, uh, track this guy over the middle or whatever. And you just hope that they sort of just guess right. And that Stafford guesses wrong or just is a little off. And you hope that that corner is facing the quarterback and can intercept the pass. And that's a style of defense that seems to me, at least in terms of the, the regions of the field where they function, it seems like an effective counter to an offense like this. However, uh, the the Detroit corners are worse than the Bills ones, so that example isn't quite the same. And the Detroit pass rush doesn't really exist, so uh, that also is an important way it's different. So if the pass rush is supposed to intervene for the Bills, then the, the, the Lions need a different plan, and I, I don't know if they really have one. I think it's just kind of like hoping that the, the corners sort of win the matchups in a gutsy way. What I worry about for the Lions is even if even if there's some kind of um, collision here between what the Rams usually do and, and the strengths, the few strengths of the Detroit defense, McVay might be able to find a way to uh, recreate the dynamics of a downfield attack, but just going horizontally, especially because the pass rush isn't there. If Stafford has like another two seconds to throw the ball, that doesn't mean Cooper Cup can run a fly route any better but he might be able to set up more ambitious pick routes or like crossing routes across the field to create the space that they don't have the speed to create vertically. So um, I think if it must come to that, Sean McVay might already have an idea of how to do it. And uh, so that's, for instance, why I'm going to be calling this a matchup upgrade for Cooper Cup and uh, Puka Nakua, even though the Lions are at their best in the parts of the field where Puka Nakua and Cooper Cup get most of their usage. I just think McVeigh is prepared to do some kind of pivot. I don't know what it is exactly, but it, he should have the luxury of it. If only, unless the Detroit pass rush is more lively than I'm uh, projecting here. Our guy Anthony chimes in that that Hutch getting home uh, is the way for. for Sometimes it happens. Lines. It does. It does. He's got the cool uh, war paint. Uh, Michigan just won the national championship this week. Maybe a little extra gas. Oh, that means he gets a stats boost. Yeah, I, I believe so. STR is plus one because of the, yeah, the 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 alma mater success. I think that's how it works. Pretty sure. Um, yeah. But on the on the Lions side, you know, they're playing in a game last week where that you know there was a fringe possibility of them being able to move up to the two spot. So they kept, they kept their starters in. Sam Laporta gets hurt. 
How much does that change uh, what this offense looks like in your mind? Well, it hurts. I, I don't understand really the criticisms of Campbell, though, because uh, if if Dallas had lost and the Lions had lost after sitting their starters, those same people would have been calling for Campbell to get fired, in my opinion. So uh, if, if you lose, if you actually lose playoff seating while resting your starters, it's just it's such a it's one of those things that you can't justify, even if even if there is something of a case it's like no one's going to listen to you. So I thought it was a lose lose for Campbell. Um the Laporta injury sucks though, because he plays every snap for them. Like that's, it's uh, kind of interesting. Uh, obviously you remember the flash plays with Laporta. You see the volume, uh, all the really good numbers. It's easy to miss how much he's out there just doing stuff for other people too. It's like, he's out there blocking every, every play that he's not running a route. He's out there blocking. Uh, he doesn't get any time off. Uh, I think as a receiver, James Mitchell might actually be pretty good, or at least I've always, I've, I've I do been, too. Had a bit of a truther thing with James Mitchell going back to Virginia Tech, yes. Um, so I I think he might be surprisingly dangerous as a pass catcher, but I suppose Laporta must be good at some aspect of blocking that's important to this offense. I don't know enough about that stuff. I, I assume Mitchell is not quite on that level. And so you probably just like that. have Brock Wright do that stuff. Is that guy still hurt? Um, he had been he missing might, some time. He is, in general, they're blocking. Okay, he's back. So, yeah, Brock Wright is probably going to lead them in snaps at tight end. I think you'll see both of those guys play quite a bit. But, yeah, 30, 35 snaps for Wright. Vast majority of those is going to be blocking, I think. And uh, I guess I haven't looked lately on how much they've had Mitchell blocking. Um, He hasn't played... He hasn't played enough for for me to get a sense of of what the the change in circumstances might be what mean for reevaluating Mitchell's workload. Like it's one thing to notice what he does like off the bench in a game where Laporta gets hurt, but with a week of practice, the lions might have some different designs in mind, but uh, I, I think Mitchell can step in. I think the Laporta being out shouldn't hurt the run game or the pass blocking to any particularly notable extent. So if you're the lions, um, same as pretty much any week, the way you win here is by choking out this defense with your offensive line and your ability to run at volume and with explosiveness. Uh, This kind of spacing and this kind of budgeting of an offense is what suits Jared Goff in general. And um, yeah, without Laporta, it's made that much more of the case. It's like you might be able to shoot it out a little bit more with Laporta, but uh, even if, so let's just say St. Brown has like 120 yards here. Uh, I don't know how much you see for like Josh Reynolds, maybe let's say another like 50. Uh, if you're trying to get to something like 240 yards with Goff, it gets sketchy without Laporta, even though I do think it's worth noting this. I think this is a, this is a play they should specifically try to set up. They set it up last week with Khalif Raymond against the Vikings. Yes. They need to get Jamison Williams downfield against Darian Kendrick. Sorry, John. Um, no, it's sorry okay. on both counts because torching Bulldogs is the theme with him, isn't it? So it, it sure uh, is. Darian Kendrick, you you can't outrun Jamison Williams. He's found you again. I'm hope I'm hoping that Ben Johnson gets that cooked up because you might. I want to say that that was the exact matchup when Jamison Williams hurt his knee in the national championship game. Yeah, it might be part of why we thought Williams was so fast, uh, though, because Kendrick. <laughs> it turns out he runs like a four seven. So uh, maybe Jamison is merely like a four four flat rather than a four three flat. He might be a four three flat though. I still like Jamison Williams. I, I I worry about Goff getting the ball to him, but I think if you're running well enough on this defense, with the amount of help that those corners need, you either concede the run game to Detroit and let them kind of just take however much they want, 
or you go away from your nature and you leave those corners without the help you've been giving them. Uh, I can't remember who it was a couple of weeks ago, but somebody, somebody roasted Akello Witherspoon really badly. And uh, he's the one who can run a lot faster between himself and Kendrick. So Jameson Williams against those guys, you get the, you get the play action post setup against a, a big personnel, like a, I don't know, second and one third and one kind of thing. You might have Jameson Williams open with Darian Kendrick out of frame. Like it could be that bad. Yeah, so I, I I think I'm disagreeing with the public here. I, I like the Lions in this setup. I think that even with Laporta um, unlikely to be to be available, um, I think that there's enough on that Detroit offense, like you said, with, with the run game, the offensive line, the speed element of, of JMO and, and uh, you know, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown just kind of moving the chains to where um, I think there's a, there's a slight bit too much uh, public optimism on, on the Rams expecting this to be the same old lions. Uh, again, like you said, um, you know, McVeigh can, can obviously draw something up special here, of course, but I'm, you know, I'm saying it's uh it's the lions here. One pride. Let's go. I don't feel strongly, but I'll pick the lions. I, I think this could be a bit of a shootout. I just think Detroit has the realer run game. Uh, neither defense is good enough for me to see a whole lot of danger there uh the rams even at their best don't really have a big play element they kind of just chunk and chunk and chunk away at a defense i think the lions can do that without throwing the ball uh, the rams of course have been running it a lot with williams i just think that they the, the lions can shoot it out on the ground more because they can give 15 to gibbs and 20 to montgomery and uh if you try to give williams 30 carries i think you're going to break them eventually i think they're going to break them eventually uh in general uh maybe not this week so uh close game but I, I just think that the lions can kind of do more reps at the same task it's it, i think it's just going to be an issue of uh depth and uh i don't know the, the offensive line advantage just creating so much space for the lions to just kind of pick and choose what they want to do so uh th- this probably more applies if you're playing like a, a showdown dfs slate but um we did do a draft on, on XM th- this week for for the overall postseason. It's not a advanced by, by week. It's just the o- overall thing. Uh, but you had to draft two tight ends. And Tyler Higby's been hurt. So my, I, I counter your James Mitchell no. uh, with, with what is probably going to be a dud here. To, just, just to f- so, Sorry, John. I, uh, the internet monster got you a little bit there for a second, I think. All I heard was James Mitchell. Uh, okay, what, what so... Before that? <laughs> Oh, well, um, basically, I'm saying in, in a showdown type of uh, format, keep an eye on Tyler Higby's injury status, because my, my sicko play from this one, I'm, I'm I'm seeing your James Mitchell and I'm raising Purdue? David, Davis Allen. Oh, Davis Allen. OK, I thought you were going to say Bryson Hopkins. No. Um, OK, Davis Allen. Um, I will say he's he's a more complete tight end than Mitchell. He'll be out there for probably more snaps than Mitchell. Um, but yeah, hell, I mean, those two guys could be necessary for cashing. You can pay for both quarterbacks, uh, both big name running backs, whatever, uh, with, with those kinds of savings, hopefully. So that just, just throwing that out there, a little, little name to, to file away. I came away impressed. He, I think Higby was unavailable against the Ravens and Davis Allen actually looked pretty good in, in that spot. And he caught all of his targets, uh, last weekend as well so i don't know i got i got an eye out maybe that's more yeah. like a, a sicko dfs pick for for next year or a best ball pick for next year but i digress all right let's round it out 
on the the games before we get to, to some playoff best ball. Eagles, Bucks, Eagles three point favorites against your NFC South champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Bucks at, at home, uh, obviously in, in that particular setup. Oh, Anthony mentions that uh, Donovan Peoples Jones also a fun DFA. I, I can always Raymond. Be like, Raymond might be out, so that actually could be there. I'm, I'm I'd never need much talking into when it comes to DPJ. Like I, I think I'm like still stuck on his like freshman combine numbers from Michigan so many years ago at this point. But either his way, NFL combine numbers are pretty crazy too. I, I do think he's pretty good. I think uh, the 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 Browns just kind of sold him for nothing because they they just kind of wanted to look at other projects instead. Yeah, they wanted to look at David Bell or something. Um, but it, either way. We've got, we've got the Bucks, Eagles. The Eagles, can they get out of this tailspin? I think that's the big question. Uh yeah, man, it's tough. It's it's difficult to remember any other instances where a team was in such a self-made hell as Philadelphia is currently, and the whiplash of it being in the same in the same season where we're not even like, are we a full month removed from it being just kind of like. Oh God, the Eagles will never lose again because of the tush push. And if we don't make it illegal, they'll just win forever. And it's not fair. Oh God. And um, now it's just kind of like the Eagles suck and no one really seems to know why. I know there's, there's some injury explanation, but it's not, that's not even like halfway to bridging the gap to me, you know, between like what they, what they should have done and what they've actually done lately. So to me, it seems like there's actual discord within the team building, uh, or at the very least, maybe not Discord. Maybe 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 everybody's doing fine with everybody else, but everybody is confused anyway, and uh, they don't really they don't know how to go about looking for the light at the end of the tunnel. Let alone you know actually getting themselves out. But to me, it seems pretty simply the case that the Eagles have kind of gotten themselves in a situation where they have been adjusted to, and they need to counter adjust that. The way defenses always lost to them before was in part because of defenses choosing to line up certain ways, use certain types of personnel, use certain types of play calls. And since, you know, a couple of years ago, whenever the Eagles were at their peak, defenses have had to spend more and more time, you know, after the Eagles became the hunted, they defense is spending more and more time figuring out, like, how the hell do we stop this? And they're starting, they, they have found some answers. And I think the Eagles have made it easier for the defenses to find those answers by just not having as good of a run game as they did last year and then throwing too much, putting overexposure on Jalen Hurts as a passer and even the the wide receivers. You know, it's like, unless you just, unless you think A.J. Brown's going to have like 2,000 yards and Devontae Smith is going to have 1,600, you have to come up with some fourth and fifth names for who's going to catch passes if you're going to be throwing it 40 times a game. You can't just go like A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, uh, all catching like a hundred passes. Like it's not going to work. You need a CFL, a CFL field or something like a wider field for things to space that way in a, a way that's physically possible. Um, and they don't really seem to this point to have any um, intention of grappling with that. They just, they don't care what the material reality is. They have their thing that they want to do and they're just doing it no matter what the results. So I think Sirianni is probably a good coach. I don't have much to say about the offensive coordinator and certainly Matt Patricia, but I think Sirianni will eventually, you know, get things righted. I just don't know if it's right now that he can do it. There are so many things going wrong at once. And that's just as far as getting the team to play well. 
who knows what kind of you know slight mutinies are going on there after Sirianni pissed everybody off by demoting Sean Desai to put a pencil guy in charge of this defense. <laughs> and of course, nothing got better. So now you just look like an idiot who is like throwing uh, coordinators under the bus for for these oafs that no one cared about or on an oaf anyway um, mm-hmm. that no one already there cared about. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot of mess. It's just a. It's just a mess, and uh, the the Buccaneers aren't a good team, uh, which is why I will pick the Eagles to win anyway. But it's it's. I don't know. I, I don't know how I expect this game to look. I just. I was just kind of this. Uh, it's it's like underpants gnomes sort of logic of just you know AJ Brown, Devontae Smith, question mark profit, and hopefully for their sake that's uh, how it works. I don't know. Do you know that the Eagles allow the third most points in football this year? I mean, it sounds, it feels like they've been getting just their asses beat for like two yes. months now. So <laughs> yes. it kind of sounds right. They are, um, th- this is one of my like favorite stats that, that have been going around. And I'm not like a Philly hater or anything, but uh, they are the only team to start 10 and one and not get to 12 wins. That's crazy. Um, yeah, that's that's wild because even that even that fake uh, steal that that last hurrah from Roethlisberger when they went like twelve and zero or whatever, like mm-hmm. they they were one of the worst playoff teams ever. Even they got that they got to twelve and zero, dude. Let alone twelve and uh, one or twelve and any number. So uh, yeah, that's it. Just seems like there's a lot of fires to put out while also having to deal with the playoffs. I think uh, the the number of fires they have to spend time putting out is not greater than the talent differential between them and the Buccaneers, but maybe I'm wrong to think that much even. Yeah. I think, you know, the, the hopes of, of a Super Bowl run have been extinguished, but maybe the, the the problems, uh, um, won't really be, uh, totally laid bare this week. Although I'm, I'm kind of thinking that the Bucs can, can pull this one off. I'm, you know, they're they're they at could. Home. I mean, the Giants yeah. did, so. right? I mean, the the freaking Cardinals did. The um, I Cardinals. Just, I I think that the the vibes are that off for Philly. I think the defense is in that big of trouble. Uh, Baker Mayfield is is back to one hundred percent. He did not look a hundred percent last week. Gets the extra day of rest here with this game being on Monday night. You got Mike Evans. You got Chris Godwin, who's been rolling of late, and and um. You know, we'll, we'll we'll unpack this more in the best ball discussion here in a minute. But I think Rashad White is a, is a nice little X factor in this one. I, I think the Bucks defense is solid but unspectacular. It's got some playmakers um, at, at pretty much every level. Um, you know, we, we've talked about over the course of this season and especially during the Eagles cold stretch that they they abandon the run and they expect Jalen Hurts to basically be an air raid quarterback, which he is yeah. not if they play. To those defensive strengths for for the Bucks, you know that this game gets a lot closer than Philly fans and and Philly betters alike uh, would like to see. Yeah, I will say I think despite all their various issues, the Eagles' run defense should be able to show up here. And Rashad White's been a really good fantasy player. He's not good though as a pure runner. I, I think he'll settle in eventually as more of a one B kind of back who does more as a pass catcher where in that capacity, he should do well in this game. Uh, the Eagles uh, have given up quite a few targets to running backs of, I guess you'd say it's like at least league average efficiency that they've conceded with that uh, 107 targets in 17 games. But the run defense um, to me, 
Rashad White needs to be closer to James Conner before I give him the benefit of the doubt. Like James Conner against the Eagles, it's like, all right, guy like him, maybe he can get it done. But I think uh, White is a lesser back. I think the Eagles' run defense tightens up here. And so um, I think the Buccaneers need to be careful, too, about how much they make Mayfield throw. If Mayfield needs to throw the ball more than 30 times, it's like all those problems that I just talked about with Hurts apply to Mayfield at that point, And they'll look worse when they apply to Mayfield than when they do to Hurts. So um, the, the Buccaneers need to find a way to maybe make the game a little shorter than the Eagles usually want it to. And um, yeah, don't turn the ball over. Get field goals when you can, you know, little stuff like that. If you if you keep the game from getting out of hand, um, the Eagles, I do think, are that they just can't resist getting to that 40 plus pass attempts. And when you make Hertz do the go through the order the third time and like he starts giving up hits. Uh, I love the the pitching uh, analogies. With, with It's exactly with the same it's principle. It, the, it, the number of pitches that a pitcher can present to a group of batters determines or influences how many times those batters can see him before they start to figure it out and start mashing you, even if they look stupid the first two times. Bingo. Um, so to, to recap quickly before we move on over to uh, best ball, if I'm picking the games against the spread this weekend, give me the Browns, give me the Chiefs, give me the Bills, give me the Packers, give me the Lions, and give me the Buccaneers. So chalk in the uh, or chalk favorites in the uh in the afc and i I like the underdogs for for the most part well i guess lions aren't the underdog but the public says that they are um so that that's that's where i'm leaning yeah um i guess the only thing i really care about from this this uh playoff round is um i would like it to be campbell time i think uh i think he, he has proven himself he doesn't need like more uh in his favor or whatever but i, I think there's a certain there's like a subsection of football uh, media fandom that, that wants to to withhold credit to a guy like Campbell because he doesn't play to their conventions or tell them how special they are and how much they need to be listened to as analysts or consultants or whatever. And I want them to suffer uh, even more than I want Dan to do well, but I want Dan to do well too. Hard not to love Dan Campbell. Um, that, that's been the case, you know, since his little interim run with, with, with the dolphins to, um, you know, the, the hard knocks uh, to, to start his uh, his career with the lines. The guy's just hard not to root for, for a guy like that. Um, let's let's go ahead. Transition as we close the show um, talking about playoff best ball. So um, we'll, we'll start with kind of a, a larger, broader overview. Um, how do you go about both uh, figuring out that this format and and contest selection and and what generally you know explain what what exactly playoff best ball is relative to to your normal best ball. Well, yeah, all I've looked at is underdogs. Um, I guess you'd call them tournament formats. Uh, perhaps there's other game formats where you can go like week by week or something like that. I, I don't. Uh, sorry, as in like one week at a time kind of thing. Um, with the tournaments that underdog is running, it's uh, it's more like you know dfs tournament logic there's there's a big pot of winnings and it's it's not easy to get to it uh in part because you need to advance each week so i can't remember what it's like a six team league is what you start with Uh, i think it's the top two advance to the next round so you don't need to be first every week uh until you know later on but you do need to finish at least in the top third of the first week 
to get to the second week. And then it's something like you got to be like top eight or something like that to get to the third week. So it, it's um, it's it's a high wire, you know, really difficult act of balancing short term competitiveness, you know, the ability to place in the top two, the top whatever to get to the next round and then have enough bullets left in that subsequent round to compete in that one. And um, I don't know the game theory. I don't know what the, if there's like an optimal game theory approach to it. I feel like it's kind of a, a noisy contest format in that so much depends on the draft slot that you start with and the behavior of the other people in the draft. And you could imagine some guy in your draft, like loading up on wild card players because he just wants to win the first week thinking like, whatever I'll, then i'm just i'm still alive i got a shot and the the realistic rea- uh, you know the reality for a lot of the people who, who will try this like you don't have a shot you you burned your one week you kind of you sandbagged someone else in your league who might have had a viable week two or week three roster uh but all you really did was kind of like knock them out um so you, you it's it's tough to balance that and it's you're, you're gonna need a little luck um th- there's a possibility for instance that you just plain old need either cd lamb or christian mccaffrey to be like cashing in the final round and if you aren't high enough in the order which is to say first or second then you can't get either of those guys so uh, in you know vast majority of drafts anyway so um what you have to do despite the icky feeling and and the actual not just seeming the actual shortage of alternatives and like control that you have you kind of have to if, if you want to place in like the super bowl round anyway you have to do stacking and you have to just pick a team, two teams, I guess you'd say, uh, to go to the Super Bowl, but also have some teams playing in the wild card round. So I guess you might think of like a wild card stack, a uh, wild card round stack of, of one team or whatever. Uh, maybe one guy to, that you think might get eliminated, but might get you to the next round more safely, something like that. Um, and then you're going to want a Super Bowl projected team. So you know, if, if, if just because, uh, whatever Chris McCaffrey goes first, you're at second or third, that doesn't mean you're out on the 49ers stack, but it's harder for you to do. And that other person's probably pursuing it too, when their pick comes back. So, you know, it's, it, you got to sort of look at how the market is shaping up in your draft. Try to try to guess, you know, not too much, I guess you got to keep yourself on your toes, but try to guess the way the other people are going to draft based on the players they're already drafting. And find an actual path where you can put together the necessary stacks to both compete in the short term and in the event that that team advances, compete in those rounds. So you can't go, you you don't want to go stacking, for instance, like, uh, I don't know, too many teams that that are in like conflict with each other. Uh, Like if if, I guess a person could justify like I'm making an Eagles Dallas team because the Eagles are just going to roll the whole way or something. And I, I just feel okay with that. But generally it's like, You'd want probably somebody that isn't going to play that team as, as your other picks uh, it, with some exceptions. Right. At least, you know, like not not until a cha- conference championship round. And, and um, you know, it's, right. it's good to kind of like spread your exp- like, you know, I, I think one path that, that I've kind of considered it is loading up on one team from one conference and then kind of spreading it out a little bit more across the. the yeah, you can one. spread out the wild card round. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think. And, you, you know, to your point on uh, going for, for guys that can give you the short-term uh, returns to kind of get you to the next round without maybe necessarily expecting them to, to be there uh, in the Super Bowl, I, I think Rashad White does fit that bill for me because I feel like he he still goes later than he should. And I think he's going to have a good game for fantasy 
uh, regardless. Maybe you consider it more on DraftKings where it's full point PPR, but um, I feel like he's going too late. It's one of my like kind of observations for from the best ball market so far. But um, you know, be, beyond that, um, I, I think that uh, you, you really summed it up well there. I, I think going ahead and, and kind of drafting to a narrative definitely makes sense in, in this particular format. You know, you've got less teams, you've got le- less teams to compete against. And you're, you say, Hey, I think the Browns are going to make a run to the Super Bowl, And yeah. and you go ahead and kind of structure the AFC part of your roster um, accordingly. You know, you get Flacco, you get David and Joku. It's, you know, theoretically an attainable stack. You're not having to um, have the first overall or second overall pick to, to get those types of guys. Um, but uh, that, that's kind of the the main takeaway for for me is is just like you gotta you gotta kind of put your put your chips in where where you believe uh, that yeah. the highest probability can can happen. Um, and, or if and again, I, mm-hmm. sorry if I can interrupt, you know, the, realistically, if if you're looking at these types of contests as more than like a scratch off level kind of seriousness, you'd probably need to do multiple drafts so that you can get a shot at pretty much all of the slot areas. And then you don't need to ask yourself so much, like what do I believe will happen as much as you're forcing yourself to ask, like what is possible to happen from here? And when you don't make yourself, when you, when you don't have to believe what you're picking from, it's a little easier to like see it as, I guess maybe like an objective, you know, cold calculation. And uh, yeah, it's like if, if, if your pick, if, if your slot doesn't let you in on the 49er stack, you just go like, all right, well the hell with it. Then I'll pick some other team and uh throw it throw my lot behind that because they're the best they're the only one that i even can pick where i am picking from and like hopefully you get sort of like a a fair combination of shots between them but yeah it's like in in one in one off you're you're kind of um it's it's a sort of a drop in the ocean kind of thing nope exactly and and uh i'm looking at the like the projected points i I did a a entry on the mitten uh, this morning. And yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like that there are teams, myself included, not to pump my chest too hard, uh, that are projected above 300. And then there's a couple, um, that, that are projected under 200 for, for their, uh, for their total points in this tournament. So that, that goes to show that I think to your point, draft slot can, can definitely matter a lot. I actually had the first overall pick in this one, I'll, I'll just run through it very, very quickly. I, I have McCaffrey. Um, I picked Dak Prescott with, with my uh, next pick. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco, Patrick Mahomes, Justice oh, Hill, uh, Rasheed Rice, Jake Ferguson, Odell, Jaden Reed, and uh, you're, you're going to hate this one. I, 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 I even hate this one. But uh, Demarcus Robinson with the with the last pick. But that's oh, what, he that's could help I'm, you in the first two weeks, I guess. I, I think so. I mean, potentially, although I do, again, as we've talked it through, I do like the Lions that this weekend, but, um, you know, that, that was the build More that I came up with. passes for the Rams that way. Yeah, I think so. Um, so uh, beyond that, I don't know. There's some guys with, with uh, the, the underdog badges out there that, um, that went with the Buffalo stack. One of them did. Um, he's, he's projected to do pretty well. And he, would you recommend potentially just going one quarterback in this type of format? That's the extreme version of the tournament logic, right? Like you're giving up the durability for the chance to get the the highest upside possible. Um, You know, you're assuming that Josh Allen in this case will win each round to get to the Super Bowl, have high point totals. And that's another bullet you can put toward your running backs, receivers, tight ends. So 
it makes sense and it's but when you're when you're planning it that way you either a have to be resigned to the scratch off kind of odds you're going with or b and i imagine this is what this person is doing do a bunch of drafts so that you can game a bunch of scenarios and um you you're taking on risk sacrificing durability to go with one quarterback instead of two but if you burn you know 99 losing teams for uh, for the sake of cornering the odds on this one one quarter one quarterback uh loadout that actually is like it's a narrowest of paths but it is it is probably going to come down to a narrow path then you know the 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 windfall of winning or placing high enough anyway in a tournament like this can kind of uh eat through the expenses but not everybody has the you know ability to to put up that kind of money toward things so if if you're going in with like a like a whatever uh, they have a like a five dollar contest i think the mitten or whatever you don't have to be like the high dollar one so uh you'd have to probably be planning on doing like at least god i don't know like at least five teams and you know sort of keep track of your exposure and see specifically what storylines your wagers are are betting on um so that you know you know where your liabilities are and what 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 sort of um what outcomes you don't have any sort of uh what do you call it like equity in or whatever like you if if you if you don't have any um bills teams and you've you found like oh, I've, I've done 10 mittens drafts and i don't have any josh allen teams like well since you're in this much maybe do an 11th or something right it, exactly so we, we've been over the x's and o's let's get a let's get into the jimmies and joes a little bit um let's go position by position um i, I guess We'll 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 narrow the the focus to like two quarterbacks and um or two for each position that that you do want to target and then two that you know maybe uh, being drafted a little bit higher than than what your interest level is so two guys that you would probably fade at their ADP for for we'll start with with quarterbacks. Well, since this is so stack dependent, since you need to have like you know four act or five whatever the number is active players in the super bowl round pretty much anything is permitted especially when it comes to theoretical high upside cases like josh allen like i i don't particularly think the bills are good enough to to be ranking allen as high as he is in the adp right now but there's a certain market for a buffalo Bills stack in this game and you either pay that price whatever it is or you don't get any josh allen exposure so in the sense of covering all probabilities, it's, it's truly the case. Like almost anything is permitted justifiable uh, in, in such a, you know, directionless kind of calculus for, for this kind of game setup. But I think, um, I don't know. I, I, I was struck by the Browns a little bit, honestly, like uh, Flacco, Jerome Ford, even Cooper were all pretty cheap. Uh, at least when I, when I posted the article a couple of days ago and, and maybe things have already changed, you know, if only for the, the enduring observation that the Texans were the underdog, maybe, maybe that has changed somewhat. Um, but yeah, I think those guys, I, th- I guess uh, as much as like spreading around the wild card round a little bit, like you were saying, makes sense. I, I kind of like the idea of uh, a team like the Browns as like my wild card stack. And uh, not that I need them to make the Super Bowl, but uh, ideally something like, you know, Brown's 49ers or something. And if, if those guys stay low enough in the order, then a team that's first overall and gets Christian McCaffrey might be able to get, you know, if, if they're going one quarterback and they have just Brock Purdy, fine. I still like Ford. I still like Cooper. Um, and, and yeah, those guys, 
I like, um, I thought even though things suck with the Eagles and even though I basically think they're kind of like frauds or something at the moment, those prices have gotten so low that I think they're in the exact position now that the bills ADP was a week and a half, two weeks ago, like a week and a half, two weeks ago, Hertz was where the bills are and the bills are where the Eagles are. So mm-hmm. if not that I have any idea how it's supposed to happen, don't get me wrong, but if the Eagles somehow do regain the nature that they displayed for the first 12 weeks or whatever, then it's just like, they're, you know, the, the exact same logic applies to the Eagles as the bills at that point. And, and uh, you know, now is the time, I guess, uh, to, to, to buy that sort of ticket. Hopefully you didn't buy it in the first uh, couple weeks that the contest was running when uh, again, the ADP for the Eagles was very high at the time. No, it, exactly. So um, that, <sighs> Yeah, it's crazy how, how quickly things have changed. Um, let's see here. And then moving on to, or does that pretty much cover your, your interests for, for quarterback? Um, anyone else that we need to touch on there? Not, not to any degree where I'm like having hard line opinions. You know, it's kind of like with with something like this it, it it really is so wide open that you can kind of justify anything. Because unless you could tell someone like this is impossible then, uh, you know, it, it's justifiable and it, it, there's not that many things that are truly impossible. There we have it. Uh, onward to running back. So McCaffrey kind of in a, in a class of his own, of course. Uh, I think in your article, you give a, a good ADP snapshot nap, snapshot in addition to the rankings. And uh, you'll see McCaffrey basically not varying from the being the first overall, occasionally going second. Um, but, you know, he he's the guy. Then you're going to have to wait, you know, basically until like the start of the third, maybe last pick of the second until you see another running back come off the board. That That's Tony Pollard, Isaiah Pacheco and Jameer Gibbs and Kyron Williams kind of all lumped into it into a tier within like one pick of each other as far as the ADP is concerned. Um, so if you if you don't have McCaffrey, who's your running back of choice? So the running back market outside of McCaffrey is pretty weak, in my opinion, uh, to the point that I'm I almost struggle to think of how to how to implement the position in a Super Bowl theory stack. You know, Uh, it's like if you don't get McCaffrey, not that you can't pursue the 49ers stack, but you're I guess not getting the best part of it for sure. Right. And, and don't get me wrong either. Guys like Elijah Mitchell and Jordan Mason are perfectly justifiable, you know, end game picks in a format like this. But as far as an actual, maybe you just have to go zero running back if you don't get McCaffrey, because it's like guys like Tony Pollard, Isaiah Pacheco, they have a certain amount of uh, theoretical, you know, utility, but Pollard was kind of a dud all year. Pacheco has one in theory, good matchup. And then I personally don't feel very good about the chiefs. So if, if I'm paying a top 20 pick for a running back, I'd like to think he can play for me in the conference championship or Super Bowl. And I personally don't feel that way about Pacheco. Uh, it's like the most productive guys are on teams that we worry might not advance, you know, like Jameer Gibbs, Kyron Williams, Devon Achan, Raheem Mostert. Uh, these are uh, some of those guys were at the high end of the ADP a couple of weeks ago, too. And uh, the, the, the uh, Miami guys especially have fallen lately james cook has gained lately i gotta say i think i i, I shouldn't even comment on, i understand that the adp on james cook is so high now because of people specifically pursuing the bill stack i know they're not right. asking the question or not answering the question of like which running back do i think is the best they're just i'm, I'm trying to pick bills so i understand uh that he goes at 17.9 but man that strikes me as a bad value personally because I, I the 
the background here is that I am worried about the Bills after the Pittsburgh game, uh, just as I am worried about the Chiefs after the Dolphins game. So uh, if the Bills play enough games, then that that obviously that concern would solve itself. But uh, I don't know. I, I, I feel like for the wild card round, I'd almost give a higher point projection to Jerome Ford. You know, so uh, I guess I guess uh, I still don't know what to do as far as the Super Bowl. It, maybe I'm just taking. Yeah, Elijah Mitchell and Jordan Mason and hoping one of them gets me some points in the Super Bowl round. But it's like, I don't even know what other team I should focus. I guess the Ravens, but it kind of feels weird chasing Gus Edwards and Justice Hill of all people, too. Right. So, I mean, maybe they are like the right zero RB picks, though, at the, at the by that. Yeah, same yeah. Token. Um, yeah. I and I guess in common, you can do something like Rashad White, Aaron Jones, guys like that are cheap enough. Uh, Devin Singletary, maybe that they can get you wildcard points with the you know, off chance that they do advance and you kind of have your cake and eat it too. Um, and then, yeah, in the, the later parts of the playoffs, maybe it, you know, not because of McCaffrey getting hurt specifically, but maybe, you know, maybe Elijah Mitchell has a 40 yard touchdown in the Super Bowl, and uh, that's all you needed or something. No, it, it, exactly. And then, you know, on, on the Ravens front, um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know what to make of Dalvin cook's role. I, I wouldn't pick him any more than, than, uh, my last pick in a given draft, but yeah. Edwards, I think he has a touchdown ability and, and uh, Hill, regardless of, of how I feel about him as a talent, he definitely plays he a lot of last snaps. Week. I have to give yeah. him that. That was pretty easily the best game he's ever played. Yeah. So he's looking better, um, especially as a guy who tore his Achilles a couple of years ago, like, you know, for him to still be kicking around and, and actually, you know, having a big role on, on a team like this, uh, I think is uh, pretty impressive. Um, and then, yeah, like I mentioned earlier, I, I do think that Rashad White projects reasonably well. And, and I, I think he can have a good game this week. And, and again, I think the Bucks have a good chance at, at, at actually doing this thing. And, and if you get two games out of Rashad White, it, obviously it'll probably be a tougher matchup in the divisional round. Or maybe the game script would get away from them. They'd be much bigger underdogs in that spot. I don't know. Uh, they, they could still, there's still room open for him to, to contribute as a pass catcher. So I think he is, is the value that stands out to me. I like your calls um, on, on Aaron Jones though. And, and um, a little bit, a couple guys a little bit further on, and then we'll wrap up with the pass catchers. Um, your, your guys that, that you need and maybe some guys that, that you're fading at ADP. Well, the fact is the 49ers uh, even more than the bills are the most coveted stack. So Debo Samuel, Brandon, Ayuk, I've uh, got them ahead of Tyreek Hill at the time that I was posting it. I was like, is that too aggressive? And after talking through things today, especially, I think it was not too aggressive. Like I, I, there's enough concerns about the dolphins being a one-off, a one-off that is not particularly productive that Tyreek Hill is a bit of a tough call at uh, 7.1, you know, Brandon, Ayuk, I, I think and uh, Samuel, both give you a lot more security and not necessarily at lower upside uh, given the circumstances. However, CD lamb is the top receiver because he's just kind of like the wide receiver version of McCaffrey right now, where um, he's in a, th- a weekly 30 point category and on a team that is expected to play. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not uh, nothing either that the Cowboys play this week. You know, the 49ers are going so high with the, the bye week you know, it's, it's Super Bowl utility that you're paying for in theory with the 49ers with Dallas. There's a chance you get the best of both. And, and if Lamb is playing in every round of the playoffs, uh, he will probably be on, you know, it'll, it'll be like 90 percent CD Lamb teams cashing at the final round or something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, so anyway, George Kittle also maybe I should put Kittle ahead of Tyree Kill. I put him behind Hill. 
but I guess my reasoning would apply to him just as much. I don't know what to make of some of the guys after that, though. I feel like you you might as well not have an opinion really and just kind of go along with the 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 uh, stacks that you were theorizing based on you know the ADP and your spot in the draft order, and you just have to kind of just execute the vision once you commit to it. But um, I like I said, I'm concerned about the Chiefs advancing further than this one game. So guys like Travis Kelsey, Rasheed Rice, maybe I had them ranked too low, but I, for instance, I had them both behind AJ Brown. Uh, I it's, it's again, it's the same thing as I was saying about Jalen Hurts. Like I have no idea how the Eagles fix this mess. They've gotten themselves to, it's just that if they somehow do AJ Brown going at 17.5 is, is like a slate breaker, you know? So uh, him and Devonte Smith. So uh, maybe even Goddard to some lesser extent, uh, where I really have trouble taking a decisive stand. And I, this is why rankings like this is so difficult. Um, I can see someone looking at my rankings and be like, you're low on Amon Ross St. Brown and the Rams receivers. Why is that? I'm not. I'm I'm high on both of them. I just can't tell which of them won't be allowed to play after this week. So uh, if you're committing to a Rams stack and you, you're uh, ranking Cup and Nakua more like top five, you should, to be clear. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'm only putting them this low because it's like I have to kind of keep splitting hairs about, you know, short-term utility versus long-term security and upside and things like that. And um, particularly with the, the, the stacking element of a tournament like these, uh, it's, it is fair to have a wide range of conclusions or valuations. No, a- absolutely. Um, and then uh, I do have a decent uh, amount. To, I haven't done like a ton of these best ball drafts. I think I've done like three, but um, I do find myself – um, being cool with, with getting Rasheed Rice, you know, sort of dovetailing on on what you said about the Eagles and what if they figure it out, um, you know, what what if the, this Chiefs offense, if Mahomes just kind of finds that that level that we're so used to seeing from him and then Rice being the, the, the top target for the Chiefs at this point, you know, I think that there's some upside there and, you know, maybe you get um, two to three games um, out of that pairing or out of Rice um, specifically. A little bit later on, I do like Isaiah Likely. Um, I, oh, I yeah, he's yeah. a huge part of that uh, Ravens passing game. Uh, That's your cheap forward. Super Bowl pick for the AFC. If you if you don't have like a, a great AFC stack, Isaiah Likely is a good way to get a stab at it. it yeah, I totally agree. Preaching in the choir there. Um, but th- those are pretty much my, my observations as well. Like You get to the end of the draft. You know what we talked about earlier with Jameson Williams. Um, if you have any optimism on the Lions, maybe he's he's someone to uh, have a little bit of interest in um, at, at, as well as like a late round flyer. Yeah. And again, like if especially if you're going in for a significant amount of volume, like the rules and you know truisms don't apply nearly as much in a contest like this. Uh, it's like last year. Think of how the big that game in the playoffs was for Marquez Valdez Scantling and think of how he did nothing. He was probably wasn't getting drafted half of the time before it. So there's a chance that major nobodies who regularly go undrafted are on a lot of cashing teams at the end of this all. Like we, there, there could be like somebody that get makes like a hundred thousand dollars or whatever, because Josh Reynolds had two good games. You know, it's so tough to rule things out. Yeah. A hundred percent there. So, I mean, that, that this is as tricky of a format as we get, but it's still best ball. It's still a playoff. So, we, you know, we, we love it um, all the same. Um, and before we jump off, we do have a message from our friends over at FanDuel. Tackle millions in prizes all playoffs long with FanDuel Fantasy Contests. If you're new to fantasy, 
there's no better time to get in on the action because right now new customers get a 100% deposit match up to $100. 100 bucks. Deposit match, not bad. Playing fantasy for huge cash prizes on FanDuel is fun and exciting. Just draft your lineup, watch your team move up the leaderboard, and that's it. So this weekend, obviously, you have tons of slates to choose from. Over on FanDuel, you can play the the Saturday-only slate. You can play uh, the full slate, all six games ranging from uh, Saturday to Monday. That's going to induce some good uh, DFS sweats. I know, again, I've said it a million times that I'm going to be in, I think, on Rashad White as, as a play. But uh, I think beyond that, uh, getting a lot of exposure to that Lions-Rams game gives you a little bit floor. But you you are going to have to get a little bit uh, off the beaten path w- with other ones to get the right amount of differential. Plus, on FanDuel, you can choose from full slate contests featuring multiple games, single game contests, season-long best ball contests, and beginner-only contests, which are great for learning the ropes and more. And when you win, you get paid instantly. So kick off football season with 100% deposit match up to $100. Go to FanDuel.com to start playing for huge cash prizes today. Mario, that is going to do it for us here on the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Breaking it all down from the coaching vacancies all the way uh, to, to some playoff best ball and everything in between to get you ready for this weekend, if you haven't signed up at Rotowire and you want to check out our written content and all of our great rankings, projections, all that good stuff, check out our free trial. It's free for like 48 hours, I believe. No strings attached. Rotowire.com forward slash pod. From Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening.